You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Hey, good morning, guys. It is good to see you. I got to remember I can't walk away from the mic. And let me get my stopwatch going real quick. Yeah, it's official. Well, we really appreciate all of you guys being flexible this morning and coming out to Lawndale. Um, I want to give it up for the sound crew. I heard they were here at 7.30 this morning. Guys, thank you so much. They're back there and up there and all around. Um, But uh, yeah, they've been here for three hours already. So give them a hug when you see them, okay? I do want to introduce uh, a few of our, uh, our family from, uh, the, the, sorry, the New York Church, who were a part of the Upside Down cast at our St. Louis conference. Uh, I'm going to read four names, and ladies, if you could stand on up, Lisa Lamoth, Helena Lamoth, Gia Lamoth, and Brittany Hazeldine. There they are. Welcome. It's great to have you. Um, My name is Dustin Peckman, and my wife and I, we get to serve in the teen ministry over here. Teens, are you with us? Where are you at? There they are. Give a teen a hug today, too. They'll be encouraged. Um, My wife is out today because all of our kids are sick, and she's getting over a cold. And so if you could keep us in your prayers, that would be awesome. Um, And with that, let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can come worship together. God, thank you for uh, just the country that we live in, that we can worship freely without, uh, without oppression, without concern of being taken to prison or, uh, or being harmed. God, thank you for Christ and the freedom that we have in him. I pray that today you would just speak through me, uh, speak through Wade. Um, God, sing through the singers that that this would just be a day that we honor you and worship you. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we are uh, nearing the tail end of our series uh, entitled How to Change the World. And I'm going to go through just a quick recap, just in case this is your first time here uh, or you missed a few of the weeks. I'm going to go through a few few of the messages. you know, this is the flow of Jesus' ministry. This, this, sermon, this sermon series that we're doing, this is what Jesus did in his ministry from start to finish. And so the first thing he did he, was he selected men. He looked out and he selected men. He tapped their shoulders and he said, hey, do you want to come along with me? Come follow me. And after he selected them, there was this association. He spent time with them. He's like, he's like these guys are with me. And Jesus was known in that time as a rabbi. And so he associated with them. And then he asked them to consecrate themselves to him. He laid out expectations for them. Hey, you know, I want you on my team. But if you want to be on my team, there are some ground rules. And these are them. These are expectations. Because it's so easy to be uh, a Fairweather fan, right? When, when things start to get tough, I'm just going to go to the next team that's doing well. And Jesus, he wanted to make sure that his, his followers were devoted and committed to what he had in store. And he imparted himself to them. Not only did he spend time with them, but he gave himself. He taught them 
and ultimately gave up his life for them. So he imparted himself to them. There was this demonstration. This, is, uh, this was the beauty of Jesus as this leader, was that he demonstrated everything that he asked his followers to do. It wasn't this thing where it's like, you know, uh, do what I say, but not what I do. Do what I do. You'll be good. Do what I do. And it was awesome because his words matched up with exactly what he did. And then lastly, what, uh, what Steve talked about last week with the demonstration and then delegation. You know, that's, uh, that's the beauty in, in training someone and investing in someone. Then you give them responsibility. You're like, you know what? You're ready to go face the waters on your own. And so he delegated to his disciples. He delegated to these guys and gave them opportunities to put into practice what they had learned. It's kind of like lab and lecture. You know, you go to a lecture and you're like, you just get all this head knowledge and you're like, man, that was an hour. Like my brain hurts. And then you get to go to lab and you get to put it into practice. And you're like, oh, now it makes sense. That's what Jesus gave to his disciples in delegation. And so today... The two things we're going to be talking about are supervision and reproduction. And this is the story of my life right now. As a teen leader and a dad of three children, supervision and reproduction. You know, I, I just picture Brian as he's, as he's preparing, like, okay, who's going to do what lesson? I just, I, I bet he got a laugh out of that one. But supervision and reproduction. We're just going to jump right into this first point here. Point number one, supervision. Supervision. And uh, I, there, was, there was a funny story this week. This might, be, this might be your heart, your mindset coming into church today. Hopefully it isn't, but we have all been here. I, I met this guy at Pete's Coffee this week. He was sitting next to me, and I invited him out to church. And I'm like, I'm like hey, just wanted to invite you to uh, the church that I go to and as I'm handing him a card. And, like, I, I couldn't even get the card to him. And he's like, oh, I already have a church I have to go to. I was like, that's a bummer. <laughs> you have to go to church. And he's like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Like, I'm a part of the sound team. And like, but it was just funny. So ho- hopefully you're not feeling like you have to be here. But if you are, I really pray that, uh, that God softens us and, and uh, helps us get something out of this. I need to turn this clicker on. Okay, let's see, these look like, one sec, these are not mine, um, oh, nope, well, Okay, sweet. It went black, so that means that's a good thing. Okay, supervision. So when you think about supervision and supervisors, um, there might be kind of a negative connotation that comes along with that, right? You might have had some supervisors or bosses uh, along the way that you were not a big fan of. And, and so with supervisors, you can, we can look at it in this kind of top-down leadership kind of way. Like, you know what, I have to just do what you say, and I can't ask any questions about it. And if I do anything wrong, you're just going to kind of strike me down, or you're going to punish me, 
or, you know, you're going to fire me. You know, supervisors, it can come with this stigma. Especially, it's especially irritating if, if you have this supervisor that asks you to do something or tells you to do something, but you know that they would not do it themselves or that they've never done it themselves. I was talking to a guy this week, uh, studying the Bible with him, and I asked, what's, just, what's the grossest job you've had to do at your work? And bear with me. He said, I had to clean poop off the walls in the bathroom. He works at a grocery store. And, and he's like, yeah, and the messed up thing was that this guy who had been there a lot longer, I think it was his supervisor, came along and he's like, oh, that's gross. There's no way I'm doing that. And he, and he started walking out and he's like, are you kidding me? This is our job. We have to do this. And he put the gloves on and started doing it. It's irritating when supervisors aren't willing to get down and dirty and, and, and show you what to do. And so supervision can kind of be a, a negative point. But, you know, whether, whether, this is, uh, whether this is your first time coming out to church, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're in, your, in the process of figuring out who God is, or maybe you've been here for a really long time. This view of supervisors can kind of flood into our view of God. And this understanding of God like, man, he's just this guy who's going he's gonna to strike me down if I do something wrong. He's always like kind of lurking over my shoulder like, don't mess up, don't mess up. And that's how we can view God because that's how we can view other supervisors and, and kind of a, uh, um, authority figures in our life. And I, I thought of an example of teens with their parents as they're learning to drive. Some of you parents might be really patient and loving and, oh, that, oh well, maybe you, can, maybe you can look over your shoulder next time. But most parents, at least from what I've seen, it's like, oh, please don't yell at me. Just stop talking like you're making it worse. And there's this anxiety that teens have when they're trying to learn how to drive with their parents. Hopefully, that's not your view of God. Um, also with Santa Claus, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus, he's coming. And so even this season of joy, a little kid's song can create anxiety. And so this can be our view of God, but this is not God at all. This is not God. Let's look at John chapter 15. Verse 26. And Brian, he used this scripture some weeks ago or a few months ago. And this word, parakletas, parakletas. My wife said, that sounds like broccoli toss. So if that helps you, broccoli toss, parakletas, it's, it means to be called to one side. It's like an advocate a counselor, one who pleads another's cause, a comforter. So look at this scripture here. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And this word counselor, this is the parakletas. So God is not this top-down leadership like looking down his nose at us, are you doing what's right? But he's this counselor, this advocate that comes alongside us and walks with us and guides us. 
Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. He wants to guide you so that you're not alone in this world. He is our good shepherd, and he's guiding each and every sheep from green pasture, through dark valleys, through enemy territory, and his one desire is for every sheep to make it through and to protect us, to be right there for us. And the great thing is that God knows what's ahead. Any good shepherd knows what's ahead. They're not, they're not just shooting from the hip, I, I hope there's a green pasture ahead. They've been there. They know what's, what's ahead and they know what's best for their sheep. You know, I was in Costa Rica in September and the last day we were there, there was this national park right on the ocean. It was beautiful and we were going to go tour this national park and then head back to the city and then fly back home. And so along the way, we told people we were going to be going to this park they're like, you have to hire a guide. These guides with telescopes, they're everywhere. You have to hire one because they'll point out these different creatures, animals in the trees that you won't be able to see. And I'm from Colorado. Come on. I've been in nature a time or two. I know how to pick out animals. I got a zoom lens on my camera, so I'll be good. And so my pride was getting built up. I'm like, I'm not going to pay for a guide. That's lame. And so we, we get there. And we, we pass by all these guys with telescopes, and they're trying to wheel and deal with us, and we're like, no, 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 no. We get, into the, we, we get closer to the park. We pay for our tickets to get in the park. More guys trying to get us. And then we're, we're almost to the gate, and this guy comes running up behind us, and he's like, he's like hey, you guys need a guide. You're not going to go in there without a guide. And we're like, yeah, we are. And, and he said, no, just trust me, trust me. I have this guide who has taken National Geographic photographers through this park. He will guide you, and for this price. I was like, I don't have that money. That was another thing why I didn't want to pay for one, because I didn't have the money. Um, and so, so I was like, this is all we have. And he's like, okay, I'll let him know, but you're in. And so this guy takes us around. I am so glad we paid for that guide. It was amazing. I have this picture. You guys, you guys see what it is? What does it look like? Some trees? Okay, this, this was a picture that was taken with my zoom lens, and this is even further zoomed in on my computer. Those are three bats hanging from that tree. Let's see. You see those three guys? Yeah, those are three bats. And I look through this telescope, and I'm like, whoa, three bats hanging from a tree. And it was like as if I was standing right in front of them. And I back away, and I couldn't come out with the naked eye. It was amazing. And so this guy, this guy, time after time, would be like, oh, come here, come here, come here. And he'd set up his telescope. I'm like, what is he looking at? And then sure enough, there's like a spider on a tree or a lizard hanging off a, a leaf. It was amazing. And, and this is, this is the, the image that I get when I think about God as our guide. He knows what's ahead. He knows what to be aware of and what to point out and what to avoid. He's been there. In the flow of Jesus' ministry, you know, we go from delegation to supervision. And you may have had supervisors along the way that gave you a task but didn't follow up with you. 
They didn't follow up. They didn't check in to see how you were doing. And so you were kind of hung out to dry. This is not Jesus. We're going to look at a couple scriptures where we'll see Jesus as a supervisor. He's not harsh, but helpful. He's not above us, looking down his nose at us, but he's walking alongside us. So in Luke chapter 9, you'll already see it up on the screen. We're going to look at a few of these verses. In verse 1 and 2, it says, Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and power to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So this is Jesus. This is him delegating. Okay, now it's, it, it's, it's your time. And he sends them out. And they do all these things, and then they come back. And in verse 10, it says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. So we're going to go through five words in this supervision, uh, in this supervision point that, that Jesus does as a supervisor. And the first is regroup. As a supervisor, he calls his disciples to regroup. And this is an expectation that he has. They all came back. They all came back to meet with him. It can create security. It can create accountability. It can create camaraderie. We know this team, these guys, we're coming back together. And as you delegate, you'll eventually want to know what's going on with those that you have invested in. Like a weekly work meeting. I used to be in sales and we'd have our, our every Friday morning, our sales meeting. And we'd talk about the accounts that we won, the accounts we lost, the things we learned, any, you know, other highs and lows of the week. And then we would teach each other, hey, this helped me, this helped me along the way. It was great. We might have these with our family, uh, with family dinner or family devo. Kind of a, a regrouping from the day or regrouping from the week. Or even a team huddle, regrouping after a play or at halftime or after the game. Okay, how can we go out and do a better job next time? What did we learn? The next thing that Jesus does is he reviews. And, and I, ref, uh, I alluded to this already, but they talked about what happened. How did it go? How did you feel? Did you encounter any obstacles along the way? Do you need help with anything moving forward? Do you have any success stories or anything that got you down? This is what we do in relationships, right? This is normal. We need time to review so we can learn and grow from what we've experienced. I really appreciate, many of you know David Johnson, um, Calvin and Elaine's son. And last summer when, um, when he was over here with the teens and he was kind of transitioning over to our West Side Church, um, he and I got really close and we were doing this daily renewal. And this is something that he taught me. He brought it back from the, the, um, his Montana campus ministry. And it was just this daily time to go through like four or five questions. Like, how did the day go? Did you run into any, you know, any obstacles? Did Satan try to get you down in any ways? Do you have any, any successes from the day? And what do you expect tomorrow? What are some things that you're expecting tomorrow that Satan might try to take advantage of you? Or, or things that you just want me to be aware of? And that was a daily renewal. We need that. We need these, rev these reviews and these renewals, and they help us. Let's keep reading in verse 54 of that same chapter. 
There's regroup, review. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. It says, When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. You don't know what kind of spirit you belong to. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. They went to another village. Go over to Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The third thing that Jesus does, this third word, is remind. We need reminders from Jesus, and a few reminders that he gives them is, hey, you know what, you missed or forgot the point of everything we're doing here. I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save them. He gives them this reminder in Luke chapter 10, you have authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You know, I needed to hear that reminder that week, this week. I forgot about that. It's easy to forget that, that Jesus has given us all authority. And that his desire is that we're not harmed, that we're not destroyed, but that we're saved and protected. We need reminders that it's Christ who has given us this authority. You know, he says there in verse... Uh, Let's see, where are we? In verse 20, uh, verse 19, Look, I have given you the authority. We have this authority. We have this comfort in, in being protected, but we need to remember where we got that authority. Another reminder from Jesus. We need reminders like this. We need God's encouragement and His truth. We need His Word, don't we? Church is a reminder. When I come to gather with you guys every Sunday, it's not this building. It's not, you know, we're going to be at Miracosta next week. That's not church. It's us. It's you guys. This is church. And you remind me of what we're doing here and what God is calling us to. Communion. We take communion every week to remember, to remind us what Jesus did for us on the cross. We need the cross as a reminder. The fourth word, the fourth, th fourth thing that Jesus does is he calls them to refocus. He calls them back to the number one goal, the mission of our existence, and that's heaven. Not just for these disciples, not just for you and me, but for everyone. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority on he in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus calls them to refocus on what's most important. The goal is not to perform miracles. The goal is not to have two-hour-long quiet times with God every single day, although those are great things. The goal is heaven. The goal is world conquest. 
The goal is saving souls from this wicked and dark world. You know, there was a quote in this book, you know, this, this series that we're doing, uh, we're, we're pulling these, these ideas out of this book, uh, The Master's Plan of Evangelism. Many of you got that book. This quote from the book, it says, We fail not because we do not try to do something, but because we let our little effort become, become an excuse for not doing more. Here's that quote. There can be no substitute for total victory. What a high calling this is. Our world is a big place. And that's why, as Steve said last week, everyone can and must do something. Jesus gives us an example as to what a good supervisor should do to help others mature. And we need to learn from Jesus. So I want to ask you guys, who are your spiritual advisors and supervisors? You know, for me, my wife is a spiritual supervisor for me. She, th- she sees things that I don't see. She encourages me. She calls me out. She walks with me. She is a spiritual supervisor. The Craigs. We have weekly time with the Craigs. Almost every Thursday morning, we get with Brian and Dessa, and we, we regroup, we review, we remind each other, they remind us, we refocus. It's awesome. You know, the staff that we have here, we get time with them almost every week. The parents, parents of our teenagers. When I, get, when I see you guys at Devo's or at church or just talk to you on the phone, I'm reminded. You guys are spiritual advisors. The teens, you guys are spiritual supervisors for me. In various ways, spiritually speaking, in my driving They remind me how to be a good driver because they're all reading their driver's handbooks and they're like, actually, uh, that's not how you should do that. I'm like, oh yeah, it's been a little while since I read that book. But they, they catch my blind spots. They've seen, you know, Xander has seen me get upset with my kids and he, he's talked to me about it. Yeah, I saw you get upset with your kids. We need, everyone can be a spiritual supervisor. My kids are my spiritual supervisors. Zeke called me out one time. You know, Catherine and I were in a bump, and I raised my voice to Ka- at Catherine, and I came and sat down at the table. I think Catherine was in the back, and I was like, Zeke, kids, I'm sorry for raising my voice at mommy. And Zeke said, yeah, daddy, that was really unloving. Like, You're right. It was unloving. You're right. You know, we can all be each other's spiritual supervisors. Wade Cook is going to come up and do communion in a little bit. And he, he has been a spiritual supervisor for me. Because I grew up in Denver. I grew up in the teen ministry in Denver. And Wade and Debbie are staples in the Denver church. If they ever move, I, I think, I don't know, I think the world's going to end. Um, but there was a time when, when I was, I, I think, 16 or 17, and I, um, I was asked to do communion at a church service, and, and Wade was in charge. He was kind of overseeing the service. I think he was preaching that day, so he had us huddle up, asked how I was doing, and then I did my communion. I was so nervous, and then afterwards, he had a little regroup with me. I asked, how, you know, hey, you know, great job. I'm sure you were nervous. Wade is super loving in everything he says. You know, you, you spoke a bit too fast. It was kind of hard to understand you, 
And, you know, as a teen and being nervous, I'm like, oh, I failed. Like, no. But I remember that. I remember he spoke those words and I never forgot them. And I, I always remembered after that, like, slow down. Slow down. I appreciate Wade. So anyone can be your spiritual supervisor. Anyone that has eyes on you. And we need to be humble to accept that we are each other's spiritual supervisors. We especially need people in our lives that know the nitty-gritty of our lives, that, we're, that we get with on a regular basis, that we talk to on a regular basis. The, those people that know, you know, how your family functions, the, you know, the, the funkiness in your family, the drama. They need to know your past. They need to know your dreams. They need to know the things that kind of get you down day to day that they can check in with you. We need people that are extra, extra close, that we give ourselves to. You know, a call, I just want to uh, give a, an encouragement and a challenge. If, if, if this is your first time at church or if you're trying to figure out, man, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? I want you to look at God and, and these scriptures that we're reading and and try to see God in a different light. And he wants to walk alongside you. And everyone here, everyone, a lot of people here have stories about how God has been their guide. How he, he has walked alongside us and he hasn't been this top-down leader and ready to strike you down. But he's been patient, he's been an advocate, and he's walked with us. Man, we want to tell you about that God. Please talk to us. Please go after finding out about the God, the counselor, the advocate. Get into some Bible studies. We love going through the Bible and showing even more of who God is. So please talk to someone today. Visit our welcome table. Grab a Bible if you don't have one. Um, and a call to the Christians, those who have been around for a long, long time, or maybe for a couple weeks like Traven. Um, you know, we need others involved in our life on a, on a regular basis. And, you know, there's been times in my life where I'm like, people don't want to get with me. Like, gosh, no one cares about me, so I'm just going to, like, sit back and wait till someone comes to me. No. you got to seek these, these supervisors like crazy because your life depends on it. And our life depends on it. We need each other. And parents, I know you got a lot going on. I, you know, I have, I have little kids, but I'm not even in the middle school and high school years, years yet, and that's a crazy life. But in the midst of this chaos, we especially need supervisors in our life. We need people that we're walking with. We need people that we can touch base, base with and have daily renewals, renewals or weekly renewals. We need something. But more than just for our salvation, this is for our kids' salvation. When we, when we spend time with someone and we review and we regroup and we go all through all these things and we come out and we're like, man, okay, I can take on another week. That is not just for you. That is for your kid's faith later on down the road. That's for your grandkid's faith. That's for the, the potential faith of that cashier that you're going to run into and their kids and their grandkids. You know, I remember... A time when I was in high, no, actually I was probably in late elementary school. And, 
And we went at my, I went with my parents over to a time that they had with this married couple in the Denver church. And this, this couple was going through a rough time in their marriage. As an as 11-year-old, I, I could tell something was wrong. And my, so they sent us down to the basement, the kids, and they, they had a chat in the kitchen. And I could tell when we came back up, like, that was a heavy talk. And I later found out that, that this couple was potentially on the verge of divorce. I'm not quite sure. It was a rough situation. But I look back and I see, man, my parents gave themselves. They, they were involved in their lives. And those people, that couple, were involved in my parents' lives. And I saw that and I respect it so much that they were involved with one another. And now that couple is thriving and they are helping others, and they are multiplying themselves. and It's awesome, but we need each other. And there's one more word that ties these four words together, and that's reinforce. Reinforce. In, so, or, sorry, in Proverbs 27, verse 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When we come together as Jesus did with his disciples to regroup, review, remind, and refocus, we will reinforce the faith that we have. The convictions, the goal of this life, we will strengthen one another, we'll sharpen one another, support one another, all with the authority and the power and the wisdom and the strength that Christ has given us. Point number two, reproduction. Reproduction. John chapter 15. Let's get right into it. John chapter 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. What a powerful passage. Jesus is the vine. The life source for all the branches. And the branches are his followers, his disciples. And the encouraging thing is that we can be grafted into this vine. If we're a branch that's laying on the ground and we, we don't have a connection with, with Jesus, we can be grafted in. All of us have been grafted in to the vine, the true life source of Jesus. If you want a, a little study on being grafted in, Read Romans chapter 11. It's a great chapter, but graft, it means to unite with a growing plant by insertion or by placing in close proximity. So no, no matter where you are, you can have access to this life source, this vine that we desperately need in order to bear fruit. And if there is a branch that's not producing anything for a long period of time, that branch is dead, right? There's no connection to the vine. If there was a connection, there would be fruit that's growing. The connection has died. 
Jesus expects his disciples to reproduce, to multiply, just as you would expect an orange tree to give you oranges or an avocado tree to give you avocados. So Jesus expects us to bear fruit in our life. Jesus calls the branches to evaluate the fruit of their life. You know, this, this, this uh, kind of tree concept has become a little, bit, uh, a little bit easier to understand because we have this tree, we call it our unity tree, and this is a tree that Catherine and I watered on our wedding day. Instead of doing sand or a knot or these different ceremonies, we, we chose to buy a plant and to water it together. And this plant, it looked great when we bought it. And it looked great for a few months after that. But then, but then we neglected the plant. It sat on our back porch. Yeah, oh, you know what, we should water that today. But we, you know, we have a kid in tow, and we're like, yeah, we'll do it later. Eventually that plant got taken downstairs to like kind of the common garden area at our, at our apartment complex. And the gardener watered it every day, and it looked great after that. But just recently, you know, in our new apartment in South Bay, when we moved over here, um, it was just looking gnarly. There were aphids all over the leaves. There were leaves that were dying, different, like, colors of death. <laughs> um, and, and the branches were just all intertwined, and I'm like, man, this is rough. And so my mom was out here visiting. She's like, we got to do something about this tree. I was like, you're right. So she bought some soil, and we got a bigger pot, and we transplanted it into a bigger space. And then the next day, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take some—I've never pruned before, but I'm going to take some time to prune this tree. Hopefully it turns out well. So I just—I get going, and, you know, when you get going with, you know, cutting your hair, or you, kind, you can kind of get overboard. <laughs> and, and so I backed off. I'm like, oh, man, that is a pathetic-looking tree. Dang it, I went too far. There were just a few branches left, a few leaves left, and I'm like, man, I hope this does. And it has, it has blossomed. It has flourished. It has never been fuller now. And it's starting to get to the point where there, it needs to be pruned again because I'm starting to see some dead leaves, some aphids, and we're still watering it. But it was so encouraging. I'm like, man, leaves are just, branches are coming out of everywhere. It needed some pruning so that it could, it could stretch to even greater lengths. And we need that in our lives. You think about pruning, it's not chopping down. It's precisely cutting off a section that has maybe reached its full potential in its current form. Pruning isn't comfortable, but it eliminates the lesser goals and victories to make room for greater growth, greater goals and greater victories. Can you think of a time when you were pruned by God? Or maybe... You saw someone else getting pruned by God. You know, parenting and marriage is honestly a constant pruning. And it's awesome. It's not like, oh man, this is so uncomfortable all the time. Man, why do you keep, you know, hacking at me? No, it's encouraging. I see myself and I'm like, man, I thought I was humble. But now I see more and more pride coming out. I thought I was selfless, but man, that was a really selfish move. I need to get pruned. I need to get pruned. Another question I have for you. Are there small goals and small victories that are preventing growth in your life? 
Do you have these smaller victories that you're kind of clinging on to from the past and it's preventing you from going out and having greater victories? I've done that before. I've held on to stories of people that I helped and invested in and then I'm like, man, it's been years since I invested in someone. Are there small goals and small victories that are preventing growth in your life? We're going to look at uh, a few more verses here in John chapter 15, but, you know, just thinking about how did we get here? How did we get into this room, into this family, into the South Bay Church? How did we get here? In verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. This is Jesus talking. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Jesus chose us. He chose us. He didn't sit back and, man, I hope someone comes to me. I hope someone will want to follow me. He reached out and he chose each one of us. You're sitting here today because God chose you. And we're sitting here today also because the men that Jesus chose back in the day, the 12 ordinary men who reproduced the nature and character and convictions and strategy and goals and commands of Christ into other men and women who then turned around and did the same thing. That's why we're here. Man is God's method to change the world. There's no plan B. It's you and me. And that's it. And that may seem a bit risky and a bit crazy, but who are we to question the creator of the universe who chose us? So if you and I choose to turn around and reproduce Christ in others, what impact could we really have in this world? It's a daunting, daunting world and a daunting task. Can we really make a difference? I want to show you this chart here. I don't know if you can see it too well. This is a basic multiplication chart. And Alice, maybe you get excited seeing this. She's a math professor. Um, but this is year one. You see, this, this is just something I found online. Like multiplication with evangelism and reaching out. Disciplers, that was the name they gave someone who's already a follower of Christ. And they make one disciple in that first year. That's two people. The next year, those two people, they invest themselves and they reproduce and, and, and they reproduce Christ in two more people. That's four people and on and on and on and on. Okay, so what do we have down here? We have in 33 years, 8.5 billion people reached. 33 years. If we're a church of about 250 people, you start out at year 9. 256 takes 25 years. If each one of us turned around one person a year that we invested in and we shared Christ with them and they turned around, became a disciple and started doing the same thing one person a year, we could change the world in 25 years. And this is a good reminder. Even this, it's like, oh, but like, we're in South Bay. There's no way we can reach that person all the way in Asia. How are we going to do that? Well, you never know. 
You could meet a family member that lives in the States that then goes back and multiplies. You never know. But if we have the mindset that I am just going to invest in one, at least one person a year and multiply, we will change the world. One disciple per year. You spend time with them. You have them over for dinner. You pray with them. You love them. And you train them to do the same thing. You know, a story about our good friends and family, the Dabneys. Traven just became a disciple recently. And I was asking one of our other guys, just, man, how did Traven get here? How did he become a disciple? How did he get into South Bay Church, teen ministry? What was the process? And so we're, we start backtracking. How did Traven get here? Well, his parents became disciples. His parents, <laughs> Michael Flymel, his parents became disciples. Before that, his stepbrother became a disciple in high school, at Palos Verdes High School. And it was because some of the teens from the teen ministry reached out to him, invited him out, and he multiplied to his parents. His parents multiplied to Traven, and that's why Traven is sitting here today. This is multiplication. We need to remember that evangelism and making disciples, it's not done by something. It's not done by some elaborate church service or this great reach-out event. It's done by someone, and that someone is God. He is the power. He is the authority. He is the strength. He is the love behind it all. I want to ask you guys, what is the fruit of your life? Currently, what is the fruit of your life? That might be discouraging. That might be really encouraging. But what is the fruit of your life right now? And what do you want the fruit of your life to be? Because we can start now. We can start now. It doesn't matter what the fruit is currently. If we get reconnected or connected to Christ, the vine, we will produce good fruit and much fruit. What is the product of your life? We can start now. I have one practical for you with this. And, and Brian gave this practical a couple weeks ago. But he, it's to have someone, have a family, have someone into your home over the holiday season. A neighbor, a co-worker, whoever it may be. Someone that you meet at Starbucks. Have them over to your home. Set something up that you can spend time with them. Tis the season to change the world. Spend time. Set something up. I know the Craigs set up a, a little neighborhood party for their neighbors. What can you do to reach out this holiday season? I'm going to have uh, Wade come up here. He's going to lead us to the cross. And that's truly, I mean, that is why we can do what we do. Because of the, the authority that Jesus has given us. Because what he has down on the cross. So let me have uh, Wade come up here. I really love Wade so much. I, I just feel so honored to even share the stage with him. Uh, so let's welcome him up. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.